he is with us. Please be seated. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Nick Schatz. I'm one of the pastors here at Hershey Free Church, and I have the honor of introducing you to some new members of our family. And it's going to take two slides because we had several people go through the new member process. And uh, if you were in here, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. I'm going to try my best. We have Ashley Dew, the Schlaters, the Millers, the Sanders, Blake Bonta, John Lahr, and uh, Kathy Severin. We have another slide here, Adam Morales and Jessica Morales, Lisa Allen, the Nemeths, the Lambs, Miss Young, and Dimitri and Jen Ryby. Are any of you in here right now? Would you raise your hand? Anybody that was on the screen? Oh, several in this service. All right, let's give them a hand. Welcome to the family. It's, uh, it's always good to introduce new members to the family. In fact, some of you have been coming here for quite a while, so uh, this is not a new experience for you, but we welcome you to, to membership. Thanks for joining. Uh, so go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you or an app on your phone, you can go ahead and tap on that and open it up to Matthew 5. We're going to pick up on a teaching series that uh, Pastor George introduced to us last week entitled, The Struggle is Real. And I thought it was really helpful that he started out with these three foundational truths. So we're going to put those on the screen, and I just want to walk through those real quick. Uh, first off, and, and this, is, this is sort of uh, in, in dwelling everything that we're saying for these five weeks, everyone struggles, therefore you are not alone. Secondly, the gospel meets us in our struggle, therefore you have hope. Thirdly, and very importantly for today's topic, the gospel engages our struggle in the context of community. Therefore, you don't have to hide. And that's going to be the tough one today because today the topic of discussion is lust. And so let's jump in today. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 5, we're going to read that in just a moment. As I get started, I want to tell you the story about a young man whose name is Alex. Now, just to come out and say it, Alex is not a real person. The story that I'm about to tell you is made up. However, I made it up after reading and hearing the stories of many people that are just like Alex. And so in that sense, Alex is a real person because Alex is you or because Alex is a loved one of yours. So we'll jump into this story. When Alex was about 11 years old, uh, he was really into video games. He liked to play online. Sometimes he would go online and play with uh, different people around the world as he would do video games. One night he was uh, on his computer. He was on this video game online with other players, and this pop-up ad just kind of shot itself out at him on the TV, so on, the, on the computer screen. Now, he was really focused on the game and wanted to make sure he didn't, you know, lose his soldiers or whatever he was playing. And so he very quickly moved the mouse up to the top right of that pop-up box and he clicked the X to make it go away. But he couldn't forget the image that had stuck in his head. It was the image of an adult woman dressed in seductive underwear. And as he continued to play, even though the image was only a millisecond, just maybe half a second at the most, he, he found himself, kept thinking about that picture, kept reliving seeing that picture. And again, he's only 11 years old. He wasn't very interested in sex. He hadn't really thought about uh, girls and relationships and romance and dating. He, he just wasn't quite there yet. However, there, there was something very intriguing about that photo for some reason. As the days went on, he found out that he was in school and, and that picture would keep coming back. He, even though he only saw it for a millisecond, he continued to think about that picture and decided that he wanted to find out a little bit more. So he went back home after school he got on his computer, he went to Google, he wasn't sure how he was going to find this photo again to look at it more closely, so he just went to the search bar in Google and typed in women's underwear, hit the image button, hit go and search, and all these images popped up. He began to scroll through and look at them one by one. And as he was looking through those images, this, this feeling came over him that he hadn't really felt before. 
It's hard to describe, but it was, it was a warm, soothing feeling. He felt very comfortable. He felt very warm and, and soothed by looking at these photos. And he enjoyed that, uh, that, that feeling. In fact, doctors would call this endorphins being released in his brain, creating these feelings inside of him. As the days went on, he found out that he would continue to go back to Google and search for other images, and, and eventually he got to the point where he was looking at these things every single day. Now go ahead and fast forward a few years to the time when Alex is a late teenager and things have escalated. He no longer goes to Google and searches for women's underwear. He no longer snags the JCP or the JCPenney uh, magazine that comes in the mail for his parents. He no longer goes on Instagram and looks up photos of his friends hoping to catch a beach photo. He, he no longer uh, really, really goes into those behaviors. Now he has found websites that display full nudity and even sexual acts, some videos that are portrayed on the screen for him. And, and this is where he goes. And he's, he's beginning to think that he may have stumbled across a problem, something that he cannot stop doing. Specifically, he thinks he has a problem because he seems to be unable to motivate himself. He's at school and he was always a smart kid, but he finds it hard to concentrate. He doesn't really care much about homework. He doesn't really care much about extracurricular activities or hanging out with friends anymore, seeking girlfriends uh, and, and that sort of thing. He just sort of thinks about pornography. He wants to go back home and view these things again. He knows that he's hurting more than just his mind. He realizes now that he's hurting even his body. He'll go through these cycles where he'll go home after school and instantly log on his computer or his tablet and look at pornography. He'll look at this for a little bit of time, leave the screen, go and self-stimulate himself for a little bit to climax. He'll go back to a video game and entertain himself for about 30 minutes and then repeat the process of the pornography, sometimes four to five times a day. And it's to the point where he's sore, he's hurting himself, but he cannot stop himself for even a couple of days to, to discontinue and allow himself to heal. And he realizes that this is, this is, a, this is a deeper problem that this has become. He found himself obsessing over hiding the pornography. He hides the browsers and he's learned how to go onto Google and, 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 and erase his search history in case anyone were to go on there and discover him. He's learned how to password protect various things on his tablet and various apps and hide them in certain ways from his parents and from his friends, from his teachers. The best way that he could describe his habit right now would be with two words, sexual addiction. He just can't stop even though he wants desperately to stop. Now again, even though I told you that Alex is a made-up person, in some ways he's very real because he may be you. Alex may be a loved one of yours. Perhaps that addiction has gone further, perhaps it hasn't quite gone that far, but every single one of us at some point will battle with lust because God has created us with bodies that are sexual bodies. We have sexual brains. And that sexual instinct within us wants so desperately to push beyond the bounds of sexuality that God has set for us and to seek out these forms of lust. And so the three words that I want you to hear today are these. Lust is war. Lust is war. Now all of us struggle with lust at some point. Men, women, children. I say children because the average age now of pornography exposure happens at age seven and a half. Some studies say first grade. I have a first grader right now in my home. One study showed that the overwhelming majority of teenage guys are already obsessed with this and are looking at pornography on a regular basis. And I also say women because sometimes we have this tendency to affiliate lust with, with men as if it's a male-only problem. However, studies show that 30% of porn consumption is consumed by women as well. I certainly would not call this a male-only issue. Lust is war, and it goes to war with every single one of us at some degree or at some level. So my question for you is this, how has lust affected you? And what does your war and your battle with lust look like today? 
I'm sure there's many of us in this room that would admit that we are drawn to that attractive actress or actor on the TV and we long for the time when the camera will go back and bring that person into view. We pass by the magazine rack at Giant or Wise or the grocery store and for some reason we cannot force ourselves to to just stick our eyes straight and we we happen to glance at, at the magazines on the rack and we can't stop ourselves from doing it. Many of us have been in situations where we walk through public and even though we try to discipline ourselves, we cannot stop our eyes from scanning up and down the bodies of those who are around us. We scan social media in hopes that somebody, uh, maybe somebody that we don't even talk to anymore, that we don't even have a friendship anymore. We keep them in our feed because we enjoy looking at those photos over and over again as they update their status. Some of us have been in situations where we mentally undress the person in front of us, even unintentionally. We don't want to, but it just happens and we can't seem to stop it. Perhaps you've found yourself wearing sunglasses in certain areas because you don't want the people around you to know where your eyes are wandering. Perhaps you found yourself playing the same YouTube videos over and over again and allowing that algorithm that the software has produced to bring up more and more explicit videos for you to enjoy. Perhaps you've gotten to the point where you have learned to hide these things. You've learned to hide it from your boss so that disciplinary action doesn't come your way. Perhaps you've learned how to browse things in incognito mode within your Chrome browser. Perhaps you've learned how to look interested when you're talking to someone else or listening in school, wherever the case is, even though your mind is somewhere else. And perhaps you've come to the point where it's no longer about the the images and the things that are coming at you and popping up in front of you. Now you find yourself seeking out these feelings of lust. Maybe you're in here today and you believe that maybe you've crossed a line, a boundary that that, that you never thought that you would cross before. Maybe it has gotten gradually worse and worse and you're to the point where years ago you would have thought what you're looking at now is grotesque, but now it's... It's how you, you fuel your lust. I don't know what that line is, but maybe you've crossed a line that's a relational line. You've become antisocial, stuck in your head all the time. You don't desire friendships or romance because there are romances in your own mind. Maybe you've crossed a financial line. You thought you would never pay for this kind of material. However, you find yourself over and over spending money to fuel your lust through pornographic subscriptions, purchasing magazines or literature, visiting clubs. Perhaps you've crossed an emotional line, perhaps with someone you work with or someone you have a friendship with. Perhaps you've crossed a physical line and you've been intimate with someone who is other than your spouse. It could be somebody you know, somebody you work with, maybe a casual encounter with someone through a dating app. I think for all of us who struggle with lust, there's two things that are true. Number one, we try to hide this behavior because we know that it's harmful and we don't want other people to know that we are harming ourselves in this way. And then secondly, we know we should stop and we want desperately to stop, but we just can't stop. And the reason for that is because lust is a war. My words and demeanor may seem a little more forceful than normal. It's because I'm trying to do justice to how Jesus describes lust in Matthew chapter 5. And with that said, let's go ahead and pick up on Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he addresses this topic. He describes what happens within us, how it affects those around us, and gives us a tip as to how we can address this. Matthew 5, 27, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't typically talk about this or, 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 or hear other people talking in this way in my everyday life. It's not very often that I walk down the hall and knock on Craig Mart's door or something like that and sit in and, hey, man, did you hear about Jim? He gouged his eye out yesterday. Isn't that bananas? 
Like, I, don't, I don't talk like this. I don't have conversations about things like this very often. In fact, the only time I ever see limbs getting chopped off is when I'm watching a Mel Gibson movie. It's when I'm visiting the Holocaust Museum or hearing stories about war, which leads me to believe that the way Jesus describes lust is the same way that we depict the chaos and the goriness and the violence that happens in a warlike environment. Jesus is trying to tell us that lust is war and drastic measures have to be taken in order to win that war. So let's uh, start out by defining some terms. What does Jesus mean when he says lust? Well, he says that something happens when we look. He says any man who looks on a woman. Now, I think we would all agree that this look is not just a simple matter of looking and noticing that someone is beautiful or attractive. That God has created our bodies as sexual bodies. I said that earlier. He's created us in a way that we can notice when someone is beautiful or someone is attractive. I think it'd be silly if anyone of you held up two photos of people and said, which one is more attractive? And I just didn't have the cognitive ability to determine which one was more attractive. I mean, God has created us in a way that we can notice when someone is beautiful. There's there's just nothing wrong with that. It's a very natural thing. However, there's a line that is crossed when a look becomes a lust. It's when seeing turns into staring. It's when a glance turns into glazing. It's when a look turns into lingering. It's when we desire someone in a sexual way and their body becomes a part of our viewing pleasure. And every single one of us in here knows the difference between a look and a lust. Every single guy in here, whether you have a wife or you have a sister or you have a mother, every single one of you knows exactly what this look is like. Because someone has looked at your wife, they've looked at your mother, they've looked at your sister, and you know the rage that comes with that. Stop looking at my sister! What are you going to do? I mean, it's not against the law to look at somebody or to lust after them. But you want desperately to stop it, it just bothers you to, to smithereens. Every single woman in this room knows what it's looked like. You, you, you know what this look is like because when you meet someone's eyes who is looking at you that way, there's this feeling of disgust, there's this feeling of defilement, there's this feeling of someone is looking at me and craving me that, that has no business doing that, and, and you know that feeling that comes over you. And it's not just about the luster and the lusty. There's also many of us in this room who are third parties in this. Perhaps it's someone that you love, someone that is in your own family, perhaps, that struggles with this lust. And perhaps you've gone through feelings of fear, of rage, of jealousy when you find out that, they are, that they've been hiding this from you. Some people even report symptoms that mirror those of PTSD. Again, reminding me that lust is it's war. And so Jesus in this text, he describes what lust does to me. Look at verse 28 again. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is trying to tell us here that lust is not necessarily an eye problem. It is a matter of the heart. Lust can become addictive and we can waste endless hours viewing things, doing things, visiting places. Lust can generate feelings of shame and self-disgust and hopelessness. Many times after a binge of porn, depression can easily set in to a person. Lust can make a spiral into more and more disturbing habits and get gradually worse and worse. Lust can ruin our relationships with those around us that we love. Jesus says something happens within our heart when we lust, and he also mentions that it causes us to stumble. Look at how he continues in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, lust causes us to stumble because it creates new maps within our brain. Endorphins are released. Patterns are formed. Sometimes whenever you are not looking at pornography, you are still thinking about pornography. Perhaps there's someone in this room who it's even hard for you to focus on the worship music being played because of the people on the stage. And it's just, it's a constant, it's constantly 
in front of you in a constant battle and a constant struggle. Lust causes us to stumble. But it doesn't just affect me. Jesus says it affects those around me as well. Look at uh, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, you've heard that it's said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who, who, who commits this lust, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm sure we would all agree that adultery is not a victimless crime. It's not something that happens with one person, even two people. Adultery affects many people who are in relationship with the person who commits that. And the honest truth, the unfortunate truth, is that there are some of you who have been in relationships where you found out that someone you love dearly, perhaps even a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe your son or daughter, and you found out that they were struggling with lust. And when you found out, it hit you like a pile of bricks. This past week, I, I went and looked up articles of, uh, and blog posts and various things of, of women who have discovered this about their husband. Here's how one woman put it. She said that when she found out life had lost its pleasure, food didn't taste good anymore, events and get-togethers weren't enjoyable anymore, there was this dichotomy in her mind where she would go back and forth. She would, she would want her husband back, and then she was repulsed by him and didn't want him, and she, just, she went on this roller coaster of emotions about her husband. She even described with her uh, symptoms being similar to PTSD, shock, confusion, uncertainty, inability to sleep, inability to focus when she was at work, wondering where her husband was at the moment. She had experienced a loss, a loss of trust, of innocence, of intimacy, of respect, a loss of confidence, dreams, stability, a loss of privacy and personal matters. And worst of all, she realizes that she began to blame herself. Man, what if I had worked out more? What if I had wore different clothes or done my hair different? What if, what if I had initiated sex more often? And she began to blame herself. And, and what, what I want very badly for you to hear today, if this is you, the problem is not with you. Lust can become an addiction that cannot be stopped, and it's very difficult. And it is an extremely difficult struggle that someone goes through, and the problem is not with you. When I give in to lust, it can hurt me, it can hurt others, it can hurt deep issues, cause deep issues of rage and PTSD and depression. It can cause symptoms that similar war patterns. Lust is war. So, of course, the question that we're all wondering right now, whether it's you or someone that you love or someone that you know or someone that you will know in the future, the question is, what do we do about this? Well, in verse 29 and 30, Jesus gives us a hint as to this. He reads it this way. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus tells us that we are to battle with lust in the same way that we engage in war. It can be gory. It can be violent. It can be disgusting. We can become held captive by lust, and the only way to escape is to take drastic measures. Now, obviously, he does not mean this literally, but what he is telling us is that drastic measures, swift, decisive action must happen if we're going to win this battle, this war against lust. Of course, in the text, he also gives us another option. Jesus gives us two choices here. He says, you can, if I can paraphrase, he says, you can disregard what I'm saying and choose not to follow me. That's your choice. If you choose not to be a Christian and not to follow me because lust is keeping you from doing so, then I cannot forgive your sins and eternal punishment in hell awaits you. However, for the sake of avoiding eternal judgment in hell, it's much better for you to choose to follow me, even if that means you have to take drastic measures in order to do so. This is war. And I'm even shocked to find out that he comes back to this in Matthew chapter 18. We'll read that in just a moment. But here's two steps that I would encourage you to take if you are willing to fight against 
lust. Number one, decide that you will fight. Decide that you will fight. Again, Jesus comes back to this. Uh, he doesn't come back to things very often, repeat himself in the Gospels, but later on in Matthew, Matthew 18, 8, he repeats himself. and says, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life, look at this, maimed and crippled than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. In other words, it is better for me to enter into heaven walking on crutches with my eye gouged out, looking like I got my butt kicked, than for me to just give in and allow lust to control me and overcome my ability to follow Jesus. It is better for me to be carried into heaven on a stretcher, (laughs) maimed and losing limbs, than for me to ignore that I have a problem and not try to fight against my lust. This is how strongly he urges us to fight against lust. But instead of fighting, sometimes we have this tendency to justify ourselves. And man, the other guys in my class are looking at porn more than I am. I mean, it's probably not that big of a problem for me. Or hey, nudity is an art form. I mean, these men and women are being compensated for this. It's a part of their their art form and, and, and their work that they're doing. They benefit from this. Or perhaps we say, man, viewing this stuff can help my own sex life. It can benefit my, my, my partner, so I better look at this and, and get ideas. And sometimes we can justify this. At the end of the day, I think we all know that these excuses are bogus. And we have to remind ourselves of that and remind ourselves that if we are choosing to follow Jesus, we are choosing to go to war. And we will lose some battles along the way. However, in the end, we want to win this war against lust. As we talk about fighting, I think it's necessary we say this, that truth be told, many of you are fighting. You've been fighting very hard. And you can remember moments where you have prayed desperately, begging God to deliver you from this, begging God to give you at least 24 hours of not having to look at this, not having to feel this, not having to think of this. You have have begged God to help you with this, and he hasn't answered those prayers, and it's, it's not fair. Many of you in here, you have, you have, you have taken drastic measures and you have, you have disciplined yourself and there's, there's countless times where you've woken up and said, I'm, for, for 24 hours, I'm not going to do this and, and you fail and you feel horrible about it. Many of you have been fighting this. I spoke to one person who fought with this for three decades and he told me, he said, I'm glad that we're covering this topic because the struggle is real. A battle with lust can mimic that of addiction. It's, it's, you cannot stop on your own. You cannot physically stop on your own. So that's why I would take, I urge you to take this next step. You do, you do need to fight, but do not fight lust alone. Number two, get help. You need a fellow soldier on the battlefield with you. I know all of us love those Rambo movies, but we all have to realize that Rambo isn't real. There's no such thing as a one-man army. There's no such thing as an army of people that includes one soldier and he can just wipe out it. This is not realistic. We need other soldiers on the battlefield with us. And if this is a struggle for you, I urge you to fight and I urge you to not fight alone. I urge you to get help. Over and over, the Bible teaches us to fight against habitual sin with others that are around us who can support us. Here's a few examples of that. Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Carry each other's burdens. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all of us suffer together with that member. James 5, 19, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone else should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. We are not meant to fight our struggles alone. That's the beauty of church. That's the beauty of being a church family. If you try to fight alone, the triggers will come and you will lust again. You need others on the battlefield with you. 
Now I realize that the biggest barrier to us asking for help, the biggest barrier for us coming and, and, just, tell, and, just, and just spilling it out and, and telling someone else is fear. What are they going to think? How are they going to react? Who are they going to tell? Am I going to lose my marriage? Am I going to lose my friendship with this person? I, I, I fear what they will say. I, I fear how they will react. And that is a completely legitimate fear. That is a completely legitimate fear. So I just want to talk to, um, for a moment to, to our church body here, to Hershey Free Church. And how, how will you respond if someone were to come to you? You could act in shock and you could act in disgust and you could act in judgment or you could act this way. If someone comes to you after today's message, if someone comes to you in a week or a month or a year and, and, and says, this has been my battle, you could also choose to say, oh man, I'm, I'm so sorry that you have been holding on to this. But I'm also so glad that you, that you trusted me enough and had the guts to come out and just, and just spill it and, and, and tell me all this stuff. I'm, I'm so glad that you took that step. How can I help? I'm so sorry you've been holding on to this and struggling with this alone. I'm, I'm so glad that you had the guts to come out and tell me, how can I help? I just want to do an exercise together. If Hershey Free Church... If you are committing that, if someone comes and confesses any kind of sin, whether it be lust or something else, and you were saying, I, I want to respond that way if someone comes to me, would you raise your hand? If you're saying, I, I want to be that person that responds that way, keep your hand up, and I want all of us to just look around the room. Maybe there's someone that you know, someone that's your friend. Maybe they're raising their hand right now. You can put your hands down. I would encourage you to take the risk and take drastic measures to find help in order to battle this battle against lust. And as we talk about getting help, I also want to mention some other resources that are available. So some of you, uh, we're going to put this up on the screen as well, but some of you received this handout in your bulletin as you came in. Uh, specifically on this, there is a support group called the P2 group. That's called Pursuing Purity. So P, two P's in there. It meets every other Saturday, and there's an email that you can email in confidentiality. Uh, it, come, it goes to the leader of the group. It doesn't come to anybody on staff even. Uh, hersheyfree.p2 at gmail.com. And I would encourage you to send out that email and ask for help in that way. You can also talk to members of our prayer team. And in, in, in several minutes here, we're going to call up the prayer team at the end of the service. And you can come and speak with one of them if you'd rather do that. We also have counselors and a shepherding team available. And I want to throw out one more resource. I spoke with a woman in our church who, whose husband years ago battled with this for many years and she went through the ups and downs with him. And their marriage is in a much healthier place. And she told me on the phone, she said, Nick, if there's someone who wants to meet with me because, because they're on, the, they're on the, the hurt side of this, they've been hurt by this, if someone wants to talk with me, I'm willing to meet with them. You could come and ask me and I can pair you up. If, you, if you'd rather not talk to me, you can speak with one of the women on our prayer team here that are coming up in several minutes. Or, or you can email that email as well and get in touch with that person. And she, she would be happy to meet with you. And I hope you'll take her up on that offer. <clears throat> So how will you declare war on lust? I encourage you to fight and secondly, to get help. All of this reminds me of a guy that I played soccer with in high school. His name was JB. I was not the best athlete. Some of you know that from my other stories, but JB was a fantastic athlete. He was, he was quick. He, he had incredible stamina and he, he was just, he, he was bold. The, the ball would come at him and he would just, you know, he was, he was a fantastic athlete. And one season, at the beginning of the season, he ended up having an injury in his leg and went to the doctor, and the doctor said, no more soccer until you are cleared for playing again. And so the poor guy had to sit the bench both in practice and on the playing field and just watch everybody else play soccer. It drove him nuts. I got to establish a bit more of a relationship with him because I spent a lot of time on the bench myself, actually. <laughs> I didn't think that was funny, but... <laughs> 
I, so I ended up getting to know him a little bit. And I'll never forget, several, several weeks had passed, games had passed, and, and we had this big game coming up. It was, I think it was against Raleigh, the capital of North Carolina. And so we went out to Raleigh, I think it was Raleigh, and to play this soccer game. And, and JV was so excited, he had finally gotten the note from his doctor. He's cleared to play soccer again. He was, he was pumped. Coach put him in, he started the game, and I just sat on the bench, and I watched him play, and he just, he played great for about 15 minutes. And then he was, he was dead. He was exhausted. His face was blood red. He was panting and, and, and sweating profusely. And coach had to pull him in. And coach didn't pull JBN very often. Usually it was because he got angry and, you know, we don't want to punch somebody. So, so usually that's why coach pulled him in. But co- coach had to pull him in because his stamina had given out. And JB sat next to me on the bench. He was panting and sweating. And I wasn't sweating. I hadn't been in yet. But, but JB, he, he, was, he, was, he just started to vent to me. He said, man, this is, this is so bad. I, I'm so out of shape. I'm so angry. He wanted to get back on the field. And so something really peculiar happened. The game is going on. The refs are you know, running around blowing whistles. The, kids are, the high school kids are playing. The moms and dads and grandparents are cheering in the stands. And JB gets up and, and he just starts uh, racing up and down the, the field, up and down the side. The game's going on. He's just slowly jogging up and down the sideline. People are looking, they're asking questions, or they're pointing. And as JB comes back my way after doing a few laps, he starts coming back my way and I shout out, I said, JB, what are you doing? He said, I got to get into shape and I'm going to get into shape right now. Now, many of us chuckle because we know that our bodies are not built in such a way that we can get into shape instantly. I can't sign up for a marathon next week and be ready for that. Our bodies do not work that way. However, sometimes when we try to get our mind and our heart into shape, we, we think this is true. We hear a sermon or we read an article or we, we talk with a loved one and they, they give us encouragement to fight against, you know, whatever that habitual sin is. And we say, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I prayed about it and I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. And that works for a couple of days. But then we are alone again. We get discouraged again. We become tempted again and we fall back in. Remember, this is a war and many battles will follow. And I encourage you to decide to fight, but also to get help as you do so. Please stand with me as we sing along with the worship team in this final.